Turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10, uh, Luke chapter 10. I uh, recently shared the story with our ministry team leaders and even some of our, our greater uh, church in some leadership teachings about a lady named Brenda from Best Western. Now, I don't know about you, when I think about the best hotels that I go to, um, I went to one in Las Vegas recently. It was a pretty amazing hotel. However, I've never thought, and this is no offense to anybody that works at a Best Western, or maybe you manage a Best Western, but I've never thought like as Best Western as being like a great hotel to stay at. So recently on a ministry trip, I was booked at a Best Western. I thought, okay, sure, I'll try it. And I wasn't expecting too much, didn't have my expectations high, but can I tell you when I walked in there, I met this lady named Brenda. And Brenda was a, a, an African-American lady in her late 50s, and when I walked in, she said, hi, honey, how you been doing? I've been expecting you. And I'm thinking, wow. And I'm not that important of a guy. Like, I was just going to a conference. I wasn't even a keynote speaker. And I'm thinking, okay. And she got me checked in. And she, and she said, a matter of fact, I had this hot towel with lemon on it that I want you just to take a second and wash your face. You've had a long journey. And we want to welcome you here to the Best Western. And I'm thinking, like, I was wondering, like, was this, was I getting pranked? You ever seen this show pranked? I was waiting for people to come out with cameras and be like, ha, ah, we pranked you. This is not the real best Western, but it didn't stop there. She said, and honey, just, just do this. She said, put that towel on your head, and it would just, you'll feel peace come, because that's what you need. We're here to make your stay as peaceful as possible. And it didn't stop there. Like, like it's like a, tele, you know, with those um, infomercials, wait, wait, there's, there's more. She said, and tonight and every night we have dinner delivered here to this Best Western. We have worked with other restaurants, and you can come and eat dinner for free. It's first come, first serve, but we want to make sure you have the best day possible here at our Best Western. I'm going to tell you something, y'all. The next time I go back to Goldsboro, North Carolina, I'm going to that Best Western. Why? Because I got treated with such excellent treatment. I expected mediocrity, right? I expected to go in and just be treated like a customer. I was treated way beyond that. They were so hospitable. And today's message is entitled Beyond Mediocrity. And Jesus in this parable in, in, in Luke uh, uh, chapter 10 that he actually shares is about really mediocrity. When you look at parables, and we are going to be studying these parables for several weeks ahead of us, in each one of these stories, Jesus has one big point to get across to everybody who's listening to him. He has one major thing he wants to share. Remember, Dr. Elmer Towns says this. He says that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So as we look at Luke chapter 10, you're going to see a very earthly story. All of his listeners could have you know, nodded yes and said, yeah, man, I totally relate. I can, I can understand this story. But there's always like a punchline to it where Jesus has a point that he wants to get across to people who are listening. And so if you will, let's look at Luke chapter 10, and we'll start with verse 25. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this, this question. Remember, this is an expert in the Jewish religious law, the 613 commands. Like this guy knew the ins and outs and everything about it. And here's what he said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, and I love this, he answers a question with a question. What does the law of Moses say, and how do you read it? It says the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all your mind. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. This expert in religious law quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. That's called the Shema. Every good Jewish boy and girl knew the Shema. They knew Deuteronomy 6, 4, so he answered correctly. And so then he says this, Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus this. I love it. He tries to take it a step further because the last part was in to love your neighbor, right? He says, Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Very tricky question. And so Jesus does this here. Are you ready? And Jesus replied with a story. It's kind of like the movie. Somebody asks a question, and then the person goes into a story and starts to But he tells this story. I want you to listen. Remember the question, who is my neighbor? It says this. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, a Jewish priest, came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked uh, walked, uh, excuse me, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by him on the other side. I mean, they like went around the guy. They made, a, made it a point to go around him. And then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. And then Jesus gives the punchline. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who's attacked by bandits? And Jesus asked, the man replied this, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Jesus loves to use exaggerations in his illustrations and stories. Remember last week about the, the father. He says, you know, will a father like, will a good father give their child a scorpion if they ask for an egg? And the, the father's like, no, duh. Well, here, Jesus uses a very, he uses a very, a very, very, very extreme illustration here in contrast. Watch this. He uses a Samaritan. A Samaritan was someone who Jews despised because a Samaritan was a half-Jew. During the time of Assyria and then during that captivity, there was intermarrying and intermingling. And so the Jews had their own religious kind of way of Judaism. And the Samaritans had their own way of Judaism. Matter of fact, the Samaritans had their own first five books of the Bible, their own Pentateuch, their Torah, and the Jews had theirs. The Samaritans believed you should worship in, on one mountain, and the Jews believed another. There was a lot of separations. And so this expert in religious law would have been angry that Jesus said that what if a Samaritan did this? Because the religious teacher of the law was trying to get a loophole about who he could be nice to and who he didn't have to be nice to. He was trying to find out where does this love end to my neighbor? And so as you look at this, this parable, it's not just about loving your neighbors. I begin to study this and look at it. Remember, every parable has one major meaning. 
I realized as I looked at this, it wasn't about loving and showing mercy, which we should, right? And Jesus gives us a, a beautiful example of, of loving those that are maybe unlovable or those that we have no responsibility for. But when I begin to look at this, here's the one main idea, the big idea today that I want you to write down. And here's what we have to learn from this religious leader and from Jesus' reply. And it's this. When it comes to the scriptures, we often look for how little we can get away with instead of going the extra mile. When it comes to the scriptures, we often look of like, how, how little can I get away with? What's the bare minimum can I do instead of going the extra mile? I opened up with the story of Brenda because I expected the bare minimum at Best Western in Goldsboro, North Carolina. I expected that. But Brenda went the extra mile. And can I tell you, when this religious leader comes to Jesus and asks him this question, he's trying to see, Jesus, how little can I get away with? Who do I not have to love? Who are the ones can I put on my list that I don't really have to like? And that's a lot of times what we do when it comes to the scriptures as well. And so when you look at these, uh, these men here and you look at this passage here are two thoughts about the man who was attacked. None of the people were actually technically required to help the man. They were they're not technically required to help him. The man had been hurt, and maybe it wasn't their responsibility to have to stop, especially the Jewish priest and even the other Jew, because they could be considered unclean if they didn't do it by the way of the law. They could be considered uh, where they could unclean, where they couldn't enter the temple. They couldn't be holy. So they didn't technically have to to help the man. Uh, secondly, here's something else I want you to notice. The Samaritan went above what was expected in the law, and he went even above that. Samaritans despised the Jews. Remember the woman at the well, John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman? And Jews despised Samaritans. And Jesus uses this, this made-up story to illustrate this point, that the Samaritan went above what was expected in the law. See, many times this is what we do when it comes to uh, the, the New Testament, when it comes to scriptures, when it comes to following Jesus. We often want to find out how little we can get away with instead of saying, how much more do you want me to do, God? We often come to this point in our life and say, when it, you know, when it comes to the scriptures, we want to look at how we can find a loophole instead of saying, how much more can I do for you? It's this right here. Religion always wants to know what is the line. Where is the line at so I don't cross it? What, what is considered sin and what is the line? How close can I get to it with actually, with actually uh, not being out of bounds, right? That's what religion says. But redemption says this. How far can I stay away from the line? Religion says, where is the line? Redemption, relationship with our creator says, how far away can I stay from that line? We want to find out when it comes, like I, when I was a youth pastor, teens actually wanted to find out how close can I get to sex? I'm being honest with you. They asked me this because they couldn't talk to their parents about it. How close can I get to sex without actually doing the act and God being mad at me? Religion wants to know how far can I go without making God mad? How far can I go without ticking God off? And now let's take it even a step further. Because what Jesus shares here is about relationship. 
And what he is sharing there with this expert in the religious law is this. He is saying that relationships matter. So many of us want to know, what can I get away with with relationships with others without making God angry? Who can I be justifiably, justifiably mad at? Who can I justifiably be angry at? Can I hate that political party? Because they do this and they do that. See, the religious leader, the Jews, had the same, you know, opportunity to Samaritans. So can I hate that religious party? Because I hate what they stand for, whatever party you're with. Can I get mad at that, that religion that's overseas that I don't like? Can I not like this person in my family? Like, we want to find that out all the time. Matter of fact, Jesus was always being brought with these things to him. Uh, There's another part in Scripture, in the Gospel of Mark, and these uh, religious lawmakers and lawgivers and experts come to Jesus again. The Pharisees come to Jesus, and they wanted to ask Jesus about what they could get away with when it comes to, um, you know, doing the bare you know, necessities, as it said in Jungle Book, with religion. And Jesus gets so angry at them. And Jesus actually brings out this illustration because the Jews had not only the 613 laws, but the Jews also had this list of like oral laws that they made up. They just made up laws about laws and tried to um, actually give loopholes or, or keep people down with them. And they had this loophole with this, that as their parents got older and their parents needed financial help, the Jews made up this saying And here's what it was. Instead of giving their parents the money that they needed to to get help with, they would say, I have dedicated this money to God and I cannot give it to my parents. They made up a law where they didn't have to help out the very ones who loved them and needed it the most. And it made Jesus angry. And Jesus is saying, you can't treat people like this and expect God to be okay with you. Like, like, like I heard, heard one guy say it this way, and I love it. He said, you know what? He said, here's what we do when it comes to the Scriptures. When it comes to relationships with others, we want to be unforgiving. We want to be unloving. And here's the, here's the example. Could you imagine someone treating your kids badly? Could you imagine them cursing at your kids, treating your kids with contempt, and then saying, hey, let's go out and have lunch, and let's, let's hang out together? You'd be like, no. You make it right with my kids, and then, you, then we can be right. It's the same way with God. Don't hurt God's children and then wonder why in the world God is upset with us. It's relationships. Relationships matter. And how we treat other people matter. And God doesn't want us doing just a bare minimum. He wants us to go the extra mile in our life. A matter of fact, here's what Jesus said. um, And Jesus took it the extra mile in John 13. In John 13, Jesus is sitting with his disciples. Things are starting to wind down with his his life. And sitting with his disciples, Jesus actually goes beyond Deuteronomy 6.4. Because most people would agree, yes, a good teaching, love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody can do that. Our Muslim brothers, our Buddhist brothers, our uh, Hindu brothers, they all would agree that's a very good teaching. But Jesus took it a step further where it goes beyond loving people as you love yourself. And here's what he says in John 13, 34. He's sitting down with his disciples, and look what he does. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. If you don't believe believe that Jesus thought he was God in the flesh, how could he give new commandments? But he did it. 
He says, now I'm going the extra mile. Now I'm taking you beyond mediocrity. Now I'm taking you beyond religious loopholes. He says, love each other. They're like, yeah, sure, we got this, Jesus. Remember Deuteronomy 6.4? We've all grown up little good Jewish boys, and we've been to, you know, to, to Torah school. We know this, but watch this. He says, love each other just as I have loved you. Going the extra mile. Don't just love others as you love yourself. You may not love yourself very much. He says, now your model of loving others, your model of responding to others goes way beyond just what's necessary. Now we're going into a whole nother realm. He said, just as I has, have loved you, you should love each other. And look at this. This is why it matters so much. And this is why this message matters to you and me. He says, your love for one another, your love for one another, the disciples, now extends to believers as we're reading this, will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your Sunday school attendance doesn't prove that you're a disciple. Your knowledge of Scripture doesn't even prove that you're a disciple to the world. They are looking at the church. They are looking at believers to see, are these guys getting along? Are these guys able to love each other as Christ has loved them? We should have so much love for one another that when other believers, other non-believers walk in here, they look at it and say, man, there's something different about you. I've been in religious settings. I've even been to churches. You guys love each other, and you're so different, and you put up with each other. Like, remember I told you uh, my story several weeks ago when I gave my life to Christ? I walked into that church, and I saw not only the love that they had uh, for me, but the love they had for each other. I mean, guys, and we were hug I love you, man, and hugging each other and praying for each other. Like, man, this is weird. That is the love that Jesus is talking about. And what we have to do, we cannot settle for just mediocrity. We have to understand that God is calling us in Scripture to go the extra mile just as God forgave you. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Just as God loved you in Christ, just as he did it for you, now you go and do it for the world. See, God is calling us to excellence. And there's a big difference between success and excellence. Excellence is being the best that you can be at something. Success is trying to beat other people. It's being better than someone else. Excellence is taking what you've been given and doing the best with that. And that's what God's calling us to do. See, one of our like internal values we use with our staff, we use with volunteers, we have this word called starve mediocrity. If you're part of one of our teams, if you haven't heard this yet, you're going to hear it. And guess what? You're getting to hear it today. We have seven of those values that when you serve on our dream team, you'll get to hear and that I'll bring up. It's called starve mediocrity. We don't use the word excellence. We use starve mediocrity because so many times we give God our leftovers instead of our bestovers. And we believe that we should give God our best or give him nothing at all. Like, matter of fact, if, if we treated our job like we do serving at church, showing up late, not calling in, doing all that, we would get fired. But we give more excellence to our jobs in the world than we do serving our king. And so we had this saying that at Thrive Church, if you're going to serve, you're going to starve mediocrity. Like if you're going to serve on our worship team, you're going to practice, practice at home. Don't show up unprepared. Why? Because you're not doing it for this church. You're doing it for the king of kings, and we're going to starve out mediocrity. 
And what the world is looking for is not somebody who meets a religious checklist. They're looking for somebody who lives it out in excellence, who goes the extra mile, who is a Brenda to the world when it comes to Christianity. They see the love that we have for each other. They see the love that we have for others. They see that we're just not trying to skirt by with our religious duties, but they see that we love Jesus with all of our heart because of what he's done for us. So here's what we have to do. Here's our next step. We have to go beyond the necessary to live out the extraordinary. We have to go beyond the necessary to live out the extraordinary. The religious leader, the expert in religious law, wanted to know what is necessary. Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Jesus says, oh, man, you've missed it. You've missed the whole point of everything. You have missed the very religion you're serving. And then Jesus takes it a, uh, to a whole nother level with his disciples saying, hey, yeah, yeah, I know you've heard all this, but here's what I tell you. You've got to go beyond the necessary of loving others as you, as you love yourself, and you've got to now love others as I have loved you. See, that, that's what the world is looking for. They're looking for people who will live out excellence and live out excellence in what they're doing in their life. See, 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 some of you are looking for a promotion at your job, but you go in and you do what is necessary. You don't go beyond to do the extraordinary. And you're wondering why they don't give you a promotion, because you're mediocre, because you don't go beyond what's expected. You do just the bare, the bare minimum of it. Some of you are wondering why you aren't, uh, God's not opening doors for you, because you're doing just the bare minimum to get by. You're not leaned in. You're not doing beyond what is really, really called, you're, you're called to. And see, if you're going to be used by God, if your people are going to look at your life and see the reflection of Christ, you and I, we have to go beyond what is necessary to live out the extraordinary. My friend, uh, Brett Cooper, shared this story about his dad. And they were painting propane tanks. And his dad said, let's flip this propane tank up and we're going to paint underneath it. And Brett's like, really? We're going to paint underneath the propane tank? Like, who cares? Does anybody really care about this? And what his dad said to him was something that shaped my life and shaped why I do what I do and everything that I do, why I try and I try to go the extra mile in all that I do. And here's why. His dad said to him, he said, Brett, they may not notice if you do, but they will notice if you don't. And that's what we're called to Church, we are called to live out this faith in such a way and to live out our love in such a way and to go beyond what the necessary so people will notice that we love Jesus and they want what we have. And so here's what you have to do. There, there, there are three sayings that I have embedded into my language and that I use daily, and that's what's kept me in ministry long-term. That's what's kept me pursuing excellence long-term. I'm always looking, how do I get better at what I do, and how do I get better at who I am? How do I get better at what I do, and how do I get better at who I am? What does that mean? Number one, I want to get better at being a pastor of this church. I want to continue to learn and grow. I want to get better at communicating. I want to get better at leading staff, so I'm always leaned in. I drive our staff crazy by sending podcasts and saying, hey, would you send me your, your, uh, your thoughts on it or giving books to people? I'm, all, I'm just driving people crazy. And I want to get better at who I am. I want to get better as a father. One thing that I've recently started doing, and it's hard. This is really hard, but I want, to, I want to go beyond what is necessary. When my son talks to me, I lay my phone down instead of holding it in my hand and turning my head to him because he sees divided attention. So what I do is 
I put my phone face down. And I say, yes, son. And I listen to him. That's very hard because kids will drive you crazy. They will call your name thousands of times a day, right? Um, but I want to go beyond what is necessary to do the extraordinary in every area of my life, including following Jesus, including my spiritual disciplines, including uh, my relationship with him. And so here are three sayings I've embedded, and I hope you'll write these down and take these to heart. The first one is this. I don't have to. I get to. When it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to following the Lord, when it comes to, to, to um, living out Scripture, when it comes to everything that you do in your life, like when it comes to leveraging your resources, when it comes to working the job that you work, do you wake up and say, ah, oh, I have to go to my job today? Or do you wake up and say, man, I get to do this today. I, I have the opportunity to do this today. When it comes to worship, you're like, oh, so you mean I have to lift my hands? No, it's your God-given right. You get to lift your hands. Oh, man, you mean I have to do when you served God with glad obedience, you change your language from I have to to I get to. Well, I have to do all this stuff. And, you, and watch yourself. How many times you say I have to, I have to, I have to. And change your language to say I get to. Matter of fact, when I came in to do these messages, my wife said, well, what do you have to do today? I said, well, I have to. And I, I changed my, I said, I get to. I get to do this. Because everything I do in my life is a privilege. God has given me the breath to live. He's given me the strength to do it. And so I get to do it. I get to serve him. I get to worship. It is, it is my, just my privilege to do it for the Lord. Here's the second saying that you've got to write, write down. You've got to say this. It's not my problem. It's my pleasure. Many times we look at problems instead of seeing them as opportunities. Do you understand that the reason you get hired for a job is to, is to solve a problem? But what we do is we start seeing that problem as a problem and not an opportunity. So here's what you have to say. Stop saying it's not a problem. Say it's my pleasure. You're saying, that sounds like Chick-fil-A, man. It does. Let me go ahead and just and give you some inside, just inside language for me. And this is, this is, some of you know it. Some of our staff members know this. They tease me about it. What will tick me off more than anything, and I don't get mad at the person, but it ticks me off, is when I say thank you, somebody says, it's not a problem. That is meaning that, hey, I'm just doing what's necessary. When somebody says, it's my pleasure, it's my privilege, it's my honor to serve. When a first-time guest come, you know the language I use when they come? Man, we are honored to have you here. We don't call them visitors because visitors we're not ready for. We're prepared for guests. And when they come, we say, it's, it's our honor to have you here at Thrive Church. Stop saying it's a problem. It's your pleasure. Stop looking at the things that you're called to do in your life as problems. Look at it as a pleasure that your Heavenly Father has given it to you and entrusted it to you. So stop saying it's not a problem. Start saying it's my pleasure. And let me say this. If you say it's not a problem when I say thank you, I won't be mad at you. Um, but I may, since I've said this sermon, say, why is it not your pleasure? Here's the third and final saying that you've got to embed into your language. It's not my misery. It's my ministry. It's not my misery. It's my ministry. See, the job that you have, you prayed hard for that job. You wanted that job. You were excited. But now it's miserable to you. Now you have to do it. Now it's a problem. Instead of looking at it as a misery, look at it as your ministry. You are called by God to raise those disobedient, talking back rugrats, right? 
You are called by God. God put you and your spouse together. It's not a a misery. It's your ministry. You were called by God to do what you're doing. It is not a misery. It's your ministry. And let me say this. The people who are most successful in life, they turn their misery into their ministry. If there are things that are burdening you in life, turn that into your ministry. But if we're going to go the extra mile, if we're going to go beyond the necessary to the extraordinary, if we're going to stop trying to toe the line of our of following Jesus and, and living out the scriptures, we have to take this parable to heart and say, you know what? I refuse to be at the, like that expert of the law, always looking for a loophole. How do I get out of it and still be okay with God? That's not what we're looking for. We're following Jesus. We want to we bring pleasure to our Heavenly Father. Why? Because He redeemed us and He saved us. And so today, as you are watching this message, think about in your life, where are you just skirting along in your responsibilities? Where are you just skirting along when it comes to, you know, your relationship with God? Where are you towing the line and seeing how far you can get away with and God still be okay with you? Where are you where you can see how much you can dislike somebody without it being hate instead of forgiving them? See, Jesus will never call you to mediocrity when you follow him. He will always call you to the extraordinary to go the extra mile. So as we look at this good Samaritan that we usually call this parable, I pray that you would say, Lord, help me take the extra mile in my life. Help me go beyond the necessary to serve you in the extraordinary. Now stay tuned for next steps. Hey guys, that was a great message from Pastor Kevin. And today you may want to make the greatest decision of your life, which is to begin to follow Jesus. And for to do that, it's a choice. It's you confessing. It's you making the decision as you believe by faith that Jesus, when he came to this earth, he was God in the flesh that he came, he ministered, but he died. And in his death, but more importantly, his resurrection, when he came back to life, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And in that, in believing that you can have eternal life, you can be forgiven of your sins. So as it says in scripture, it's to believe that and to confess. And here's how you can confess that today. In the description, we have a link that talks about that you made a decision for salvation. I want you to click that link, fill out your information. We wanna connect with you. We wanna invest in your relationship with God. We have some great free online resources we wanna give to you. And again, if you're new with us here at Thrive, we want to connect with you beyond today. There's a link for you also if you're new with us. And we have a free gift just to thank you for being with us. Even if you are literally just sitting on your couch, we want to bless you and thank you today. And before we jump into the week, listen, it's going to be crazy. And I just want to pray for you, pray for me that as we continue with our life, that God will use us where we are. So if you would pray with me this morning. God, we thank you for this time that we have together. God, we are excited for what you're doing in us. God, I pray for the message that Pastor Kevin shared. God, I pray that it transforms us, it impacts us, that as we go into our life from this point forward, God, let us be transformed by you. God, I pray you give us peace. God, you give us patience. God, give us wisdom, God, in the days to come. God, we thank you for what you are doing and what you're going to do. And it's your holy name we pray, amen. God bless you guys and see you soon.